Bert said, today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the Diasporation in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. need to share the peace among each other. So, now before the sermon, I want, to, I want to ask you to stand up, to move from one side to the other, this time not the same road, move to one side, cross the one side, the line between your side, and say, the peace of Christ be with you, brother and sister. We can come back. And we will start this time before the word of God with our word of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we gather here today in your presence, grateful for the opportunity to come before you as a community of believers. As we come to your word, we invite your spirit to be with us, guiding our hearts and minds. Open our ears to hear your word, our minds to understand its meaning, and our hearts to receive its truth. May this time be one of inspiration, growth, and unity as we seek to draw closer and closer to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can you believe we are already past half of the first month of 2024? Time is flying. And today we are going to start a new sermon series called, what is the name? If you read the emails, 
What is the name of this new series that we are going to be starting this Sunday? Oh, wow. Don't tell Andrea. <laughs> you are not reading the emails. The name of the series is going, to, is going to be Foundations of Faith. And this is going to be a journey through the letters of the two disciples of Jesus, Peter and John. And so, let's start imagining receiving a letter from someone who was a close companion of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Imagine you receiving in your email a personal letter, a personal note from one of the closest disciples of Jesus. What he would say about Jesus. Aren't you curious about his life, about his walk with Jesus? At least I will be expectant to hear what he has to say. And so that is precisely what we have here in the first letter from the disciple of Jesus called Peter. So let me begin sharing some background information about the author of this letter. Peter, the apostle, wrote this letter while he was residing in Rome around A.D. 65. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples who walked and talked with him. And after many years, full of conviction about the events he experienced with Jesus, he wrote this letter from Rome, from, from Rome where he spent his final days. And his experience that we are going to find in this letter were vast and includes joys, Trials and sufferings that he wants to share with all of us this morning. And Peter was not only one of the 12 apostles, but also he was the spokesman for the group. He was part of the inner circle alongside James and John. He was the one who once declared that Jesus was not just a mere man, but he was the Christ, the Messiah. And at the same time later, he was the one who denied Jesus. How many times? Three times. And Peter had a tendency to say the best things one minute and put his foot in his mouth the next. However, however, what's amazing is that Jesus, in his grace, Jesus, in his love for Peter, at the end, before he ascended to God the Father, he reinstated Peter as one who will feed his disciples, as one who will feed 
his shape. Imagine what a responsibility who one who failed many times in his life while he was walking with Jesus. But fast forward to Pentecost, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, proclaimed Jesus' resurrection. And he was, in that moment, making possible the birth of the first church that we found in the New Testament. What a transformation on these men. So this is Peter, the writer of the letter, a man with a story. The bad, the good, and the receiver of the grace, of the grace of God. And at the end of his days, Peter writes this letter to believers in places such as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he identifies them as God's elect. God's elects. And now, the first phrase that we found in verse 1 is, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not just throwing out credentials when he's saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's Inviting us to read this letter through his eyes. He's inviting us to read this letter as a disciple of Jesus whose failures and betrayals were exchanged to be called an apostle of Jesus. One who is sent to tell others about the grace of God. To, from one who has been transformed by the grace of God. And that's how he starts his letter in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The same grace that I have received, I am praying that you will receive that grace, but multiply Peter, who received abundant grace, is praying for you and for me. That's the first thing that we find in this letter. Peter, the apostle, prayed for you and for me to receive a multiplied grace. So now, let's continue with these two verses that are the introduction to this letter. Let us talk about the recipients or the receivers of this letter. Notice how he continues. He says, Peter, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Sounds a bit mysterious, right? What is the meaning of the elect exiles in the dispersion? But to truly grasp its significance, 
we must understand the term exile and the term elect because this is where this letter gets really, really interesting for all of us. The word elects and the word exiles. Let's start with the word exiles. Exiles means a people forced to live without country or without nationality. Christians, both Jewish and Gentiles, were not always welcome in the Roman Empire during the first century. At times, such as when Peter wrote this letter, they faced periodic persecution due to their refusal to participate in certain cultural and religious practices. They were often viewed with suspicion and subject to discrimination and rejection. That's what we, the, the, the Christians were experiencing when Peter wrote this letter. Early Christians were challenged as they tried to practice their faith in a society with different values and different religious beliefs. And that's why Peter used this term exiles as a vivid picture from the pages of the Old Testament history. Do you remember when Israel was in captivity in Babylon? They were called in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, exiles. They were living in Babylon, but they don't belong to Babylon. And they were called exiles. So Peter here is using that picture for the people of God. But also Peter has in mind in mind Abraham, whose God, whom God called to leave his land and his family to a strange land that he never possessed, but was promised. To him, And so he lived all his life. Notice this. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, he lived all his life in tents, moving from one place to another as an exile, as a stranger in the promised land. And that's the picture that Peter is using to illustrate how we live in this world. Peter addresses this multicultural Christian's audience, emphasizes that their situation as people of God is not that different. They are strangers and exiles in a world they no longer belong to. So Peter knows this Christian life is not a walk in a park. He knows the world might not throw out a parade for being obedient followers of Christ. In fact, 
Peter knows that this world will oppose us and throw many punches our way. But the main point of this letter is to give us hope. What Peter wants us to understand here in this letter is that we are not in this alone. Peter is writing to remind us that we are not just exiles. Notice this, the other word that we are going to hear this morning. We are elect exiles. Sounds like a contradiction, right? Elect and exiles. And that's what he says in verse 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Peter uses again the term election to describe God's actions in the pages of the Old Testament. This is not something new he is inventing here in the New Testament. He uses this word to describe the way God has acted since the beginning of creation and from the beginning of the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. According to Genesis, God elected, God chose Abraham to be the father of a great nation and to bless all the families of the earth. Later, through Moses, God tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse, verse 7, and it says, it was not because you were more in number, Israel, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and, choose, and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Can you see what God is telling and saying to the people of Israel? You were more, you were not more in numbers than the other people. You were not better than the other people. That the Lord set his love on you and chose you and elect you. You were the fewer. You didn't deserve it. So when Peter, the way Peter is talking about election here, is that God, before the foundation of the world, he chose a people for himself, not based on merits, but according to his sovereign will, according to his sovereign love. It's not because of anything the people of Israel did, but because he wanted to. Because the Lord set his love on them, they became the people of God. 
They were not better than the other nations. It was not because of anything they did that moved God to choose them. It was just because he wanted to and in love he chose them. And so, in the same way, Peter is using the word election here in the New Testament to describe how God, in his sovereign will, and not based on our own merits or actions, he chose to love us even before the foundation of the earth. This love is not conditional on us completing a checklist of good deeds or appearing put together in any way. Instead, despite all our imperfections, despite all our failures, God still chooses us and says, you are my people. You belong to me. You are my elect in exile. Even if we find ourselves rejected, persecuted, in distress, famine, naked or in dangers, nothing can separate us from being elected by God. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. This election serves as a wellspring of comfort, and that's the purpose of Peter using it. Yes, you are in exile, but don't worry, you are elect. Don't pay attention that they are rejecting you. You have been chosen by me. You are in my team now. You are in my people now. You belong to me now. Who cares? Like Israel in Babylon, we are living in a world we don't quite belong to. As if we are backpacking through a foreign land. Though we may encounter tough terrain, we are not lost or we are not alone. We are chosen, we are elected, and we are loved by God. And that's why we are called elect in exile. But now, let us move our attention from the recipients of this letter. There are elect in exiles. The next verse leads us to the, to the crux, to the main point, to the key point of our security. Where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit orchestrate a divine symphony 
of salvation for us. Notice how we read in verse 2. It says, to those, verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in verse 2, they were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. You see the triune God in that verse? The Father, in his foreknowledge, based on his love, elect us. He chose us to belong to him. He elect us not because we are the best or because we deserve it or because we are better than others. No, he elect us because he loves us even before the foundation of the world. God the Father sets his love even when the world rejects us or mistreats us. That's God the Father. Then there is God the Son, Jesus. Jesus is the Maestro. He is the director of this symphony. And he has stepped up at the right, right time. That's what we read in Ephesians and in Romans. And at the right time... When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, transgressions, Christ died. He stepped up at the right time and he sacrificed himself for us and established a new and a better covenant, a new and a better agreement. This new covenant, this new agreement is not just about forgiveness. Just, that is just the beginning. This new agreement is a full package. It's about a complete transformation. Yes, we receive forgiveness of sins but at the same time we receive a new and changed hearts and then we receive the power to live in the way that God wants us to live that's because Christ and finally enters here in the picture God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes this divine symphony personal. He moves us to faith, to believe, and to recognize that Christ is not just a mere prophet. It's not just a mere man. He is God the Son. And he came 
to die for us, but now he is king. And the Holy Spirit, he is the one who produces faith and opens our eyes to see who Christ is and produces this desire to obey Christ. To obey Christ means to accept the fact that he is Lord and not you or me. So you see, his, his Holy Spirit makes this, this connection, this symphony, something that is personal. It's not anymore a religion. It's a connection that you have with God the Father through the merits or the work of the Holy Spirit applied by the Holy Spirit in your life. So at the end, what Peter is trying to say in these verses is, you don't need to worry. We will have tribulations in this world. But knowing who is on our side, Knowing who we are now because of God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, that will encourage you. That will give you hope day after day, even if you are rejected in this world. Even if you are hatred in this world. Peter is telling you, yes, dear, you are exiled. You're just passing through. But don't worry. I have set my love in you. And that will keep you till the end. And so Peter understood that. And that's why he says, because of all this package that we have at the end in his verse, number two the, in our introduction says, may grace... Again, may grace and what? Peace be multiplied to you. What a beautiful ending for this introduction, eh? And I am excited to see what else Peter has to say for all of us. This is just introduction. There is more. And we're going to discover this coming year. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have opened our eyes to see Christ. Lord, as we leave this place, may the truth of your grace and the assurance of our election in love resonate in our hearts and produce a joyful love for you. And produce a song of praises to you.
So we offer this time, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let us stand up this morning. Let us sing this closing song together. What is the name, Carl? Before the throne of God above. Before the throne. Amen.